Let's bow together in prayer. Would you join me before the Lord? O Lord God, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord makes everything that we would suffer loss for him seem only as rubbish as your word declares. And it is the righteousness of God that comes through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that enables us to stand faultless, Lord, before your throne. And it's the very foundation of our hope. And what a joy for us today to sing, On Christ the solid rock we stand. All other ground is sinking sand. And we do rejoice in our Redeemer. We claim that he is our greatest treasure. He is the wellspring of our souls. Lord, we will trust in him and no other. And today we pray as we have been singing, help our souls to be satisfied in him alone. And it is for his great name's sake that we declare and ask these things. Amen. I think one of the greatest <clears throat> and strongest warnings in the Bible against worldliness is 1 John 2, verses 15 to 17. And I want you to notice what the Apostle John says to us. <clears throat> Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now, as we look at that, how would you define worldliness? I think one of the best definitions I've ever read came from my old professor, Erwin Lutzer, and I want you to notice these very clear and succinct words from him. Worldliness is excluding God from our lives, and therefore consciously or unconsciously accepting the values of a man-centered society. Now, if we do this, we will pay a price, won't we? Uh, the Apostle John said, the world is passing away. And if we are worldly, all that we have lived for will indeed pass away with the world. Now, the classic example of worldliness in the Bible is Lot, Abraham's nephew. It is a very good thing the New Testament tells us he was a believer, because if you just read the Old Testament and the account about him, you would never know that he was a child of God. Listen to what one pastor has said. Lot is an illustration of the worldly, half-hearted Christian. He had a knowledge of God and wanted fellowship with him, but he wanted the world too. And in the end, he lost almost everything he valued. I can say to all of us this morning with deep, loving concern, do not let this happen to you. If you become a worldly, half-hearted Christian, you will someday live with sad regret. 
Now this morning we are coming back to the conclusion of Genesis 19 and I want to bring a message as we conclude this chapter simply entitled The High Cost of Worldliness. The High Cost of Worldliness and as we look at the life of Lot we discover the dangers that are involved in worldliness. I want you to take your Bibles and pick up with me at verse 6 in the narrative of chapter 19. And I want you to notice that the very first danger, it is also a sign of worldliness, is reversed values. Values that are distorted and reversed. Notice, as the man surrounded the house, verse 6, what occurred. Lot went out to the man at the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you, and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. Now, I have pondered long and hard how this shocking offer could be made. How can a man whom the Bible describes as a believer sacrifice his girls like this? In the ancient Near East, it was your social duty to protect your guests from all danger. Even at the cost of your own safety, you were duty-bound to let no harm befall them. And that's the explanation Lot gives. At the end of verse 8, he says, These men, these two visitors, have come under the shelter of my roof. Now here's probably what Lot reasoned. Since these men surrounding his home were homosexual men, he reasoned they would turn down the offer of wisdom of of these women. They would uh, recognize his duty to protect his guests and just simply go away. That's probably what he reasoned. But I think all of us would hear today say very clearly, however he excused these actions, he put his daughters at grave risk if he was wrong. And all of us agree. His highest duty was as a father, right? His highest duty was as a father. The old commentators, Kyle and Dalich, Put their finger right on it. Even if he expected his daughters would suffer no harm, his offer was a grievous violation of fatherly duty. And it is very clear. His values had become distorted and reversed because of worldliness. When I was a boy growing up, my father had the opportunity to get into management in his government job. It would have meant more money for our family, but it would have also meant more travel. And my dad turned it down because the travel would take him away from our family too much. And years later, he explained to me, I didn't 
want that. And here's how I interpreted my father's actions. He gave me less of what money can buy to give me more of what money cannot buy. And I am forever grateful. He gave me and my sisters more and my mother more of what money cannot buy and gave us less of what money could buy. What are the things that money cannot buy? Your marriage, your children, God Himself, the people of God. Whenever we put lesser commitments, above the highest commitments, we have reverse values. Whenever we place what money can buy above what money cannot buy, we have distorted our values. It may not be as egregious as this, but it is reversed values nonetheless. And it is a sign of worldliness. Notice the next danger that we see here in the narrative. Halting obedience. Halting obedience. Drop down to verse 14 and notice what it says. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, Up! Get out of this place! For the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up! Take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of this city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. Now you would think with the knowledge of imminent disaster, Lot would have left pronto. He would have left on the double. But the Bible says Lot lingered. He hesitated. He waited. He delayed. In the Hebrew Bible, there is a pause sign after the word lingered. So when we read verse 16, we are supposed to pause after the word lingered to graphically feel Lot's delay. Why did Lot delay in such serious circumstances? He was leaving his house. And all he owned, 
and it was painful. In this chapter, the word house represent, is found five times. And it represents all the accumulated possessions that had taken hold of Lot's heart and he was living for. And leaving all of that was so painful. Obeying God is always costly, isn't it? It always is. We should never let anyone tell us following Jesus will not be costly. Here's the truth. If it doesn't cost us, we're not following the real Jesus. We are following a fake Jesus. And the test of our following Jesus is how soon we obey him when his word is clear. Look at this verse for just a moment in James 4 and verse 17 and notice what it says. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Do you know this verse could be the motto of Abraham's life? When God's will was clear, Abraham never delayed. Now, we know he messed up. We know he sinned. We know he failed many times. But when the word of God was absolutely clear, he obeyed immediately. If there is something we know that God has commanded us, and we deliberately put it off, it will infect our entire Christian life. Make no mistake about it, delayed obedience is a sign of worldliness. And God's word is never to be negotiated with, it is to be obeyed, and a halting heart is always the sign of a worldly heart. When we know what God wants, we don't negotiate with him if we love him. We obey him. And Lot halted. Notice the third sign of worldliness. It is a third danger. It is spiritual blindness. Spiritual blindness. Look at verse 17 and notice how the narrative continues. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. 
He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord and he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the valley, and he looked and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. On the way, Lot began to make excuses that he couldn't make it to the mountains in time. And so he requested permission to flee to a nearby city. You can see on the map where that city likely was. It came to be known as Zoar. Zoar, the text tells us, means little. So Lot's request focused on the smallness of the city. It was only a little one. And so Lot was only asking for a small favor. What was he doing? He wanted to start the quest for the good life all over again. His heart was so attached to his accumulated possessions, they had become the most important thing in his life. And he now wants to go to another city where he can start off where he left off now that his city had been destroyed. Doesn't his begging and special pleading sound pathetic? As we read this, it is a pathetic scene. But what is even more staggering is his stunning blindness to his real losses. His wife was going to turn back and be swallowed up in the sulfur and ashes. His future sons-in-law were going to realize too late that he was not joking. And his daughters were very shortly going to involve him in gross indecency. All of this, and he is crying over his house and his portfolio. And we have to say, how could a believing man, a child of God, have such 
blindness. Do you know what I think the answer is? I think the answer is found in Abraham's altars. Do you know everywhere Abraham went, he built an altar? It was the key to his journey and his entire life of faith. If you were to say to me, Pastor Brian, just from a human standpoint, what is the key to the life of Abraham? I would say it was his altars. Look what his altars were. A place of worship, the family met God. A place of prayer, the family talked with God. A place of teaching, the family learned about God. A place of obedience, the family followed God. A place of service, the family ministered for God. How many altars did Lot build? Not one. No altars are ever mentioned in the life of Lot. How many here this morning think you can ignore these things and stay spiritually healthy, vibrant, and alert? How many think we can ignore the altars that have been erected in our church The altars God has for our family. The altars God has for our private life. How many think we can ignore these and be spiritually healthy? I think we all know. We ignore these altars to our own peril. It is a sign of worldliness that will always lead to spiritual blindness. Now let's notice the final conclusion and the last danger. Sinful behavior Sinful behavior. I want you to look with me at verse 30 and read down with me to the end of the chapter and see if you can prevent yourselves from weeping as we read these verses. Now Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. 
The next day the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him. And he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus, both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. This is the shocking conclusion to Lot's worldliness. And we note the worldly thinking and actions of these girls and remember godly Abraham is their great uncle. These girls are the nieces of the man who was the friend of God. And look what we notice about them. They didn't believe in a heavenly father who cared for them. They didn't believe in a sovereign God whose power could provide for them. They thought they needed to scheme to ensure the outcome they wanted, and they thought the ends, getting pregnant, justified the means, getting their dad drunk. And they thought deceiving their father was okay, since he would have objected otherwise, and they willingly participated in moral perversion without a twinge of shame. If there were ever kids who bought into a values-free culture, these girls were it. Let me just for a moment speak to young people who have grown up in Christian homes. Those of you young people that are here and you've grown up in a Christian home, listen to me very carefully. Your parents are not perfect, they've made mistakes. All parents do. But if they have raised you in the church, they have taught you the Bible, they have told you about Jesus, you don't realize the incredible privilege you have had. You are blessed beyond your wildest imagination. I have many friends whose lives are ruined because their parents were like Lot. And I want you to understand this morning, don't break your parents' hearts. Don't break the heart of the God who loves you. Don't turn from Christ and the Bible to embrace the ways of this world. Look at this this morning. This is a very, very sad legacy. And it is here 
to warn us about the high cost of worldliness. The world is passing away and the lusts of it. But the one who does the will of God will abide forever. That's God's promise to us. Let's ask him to help us be people who do the will of God. Bow with me in prayer. Let's close our eyes before the Lord. As we are before the Lord and asking Him by His Spirit to speak to our hearts, how easy it is to become careless to drift along, to be in church, but spiritually asleep, living for the wrong values, putting the wrong things first, and the most important things, second, third, or on down the list. How easy it is for us to slip into comfortable Christianity and just cruise along without the commitment to God's holy will and our deep desire to do his will as soon as we know it to the best of our ability. This morning, however God may be speaking to you, these are indeed serious days in which we are living. We all know it. The world is passing away. It is growing more and more corrupt before our very eyes. And we know if we live for the things of the world, when this world passes away, all those things will pass away as well. And we know that God has blessed us so much with all that we enjoy. We know that he has told us to enjoy all things from his hand richly. But we know the greater values are the things money cannot buy and they can never be subsumed under the things money can buy. Is there a young person here today who is tempted to think the world is where it's at and you can't wait to get out under from your parents' authority 
and live the life that you want to live. Leaving the church and the Bible and Christ behind. I beg of you. I beg of you. Don't feel that way. Don't think lightly of how God has blessed you. Don't think lightly of all that your parents have worked so hard to instill into you. Look at the way they've lived and the outcome of God's blessing upon their lives and seek to honor them and honor the God who gave them to you that you might experience and enjoy what true life is. Lord God, today, as every Sunday, we express our love to you, our desire to follow you fully, for Jesus' great sake. Amen.